Hey, welcome back, Two Hats family, to the Two Hats podcast. I'm your host, Chris, the tactical probation officer, and my wonderful co-host. Is Brittany your favorite PO? This is episode number 14. Uh, I know it's been about three weeks since we've uh, posted anything. You know, life happens. Life happens. Um, I know Brittany has a lot, a lot of life happened to her, um, and... A lot of things have kind of not too many things, but enough things have kind of been going on with me, where we just haven't been able to uh, get together to make this podcast happen for you guys today. So today we're gonna do two things. We're gonna kind of do a check in with your hosts, um, and then we will towards the end we're going to do the probation office safety tips. So we have a, a little community group that we talk to. And we kind of threw the topic out there and they give us some very good advice for you guys that we're going to share with the family on how to be safe in the probation office. So before we get to that, um, Brittany, it's been three weeks. What's going on with you? (laughs) It has been a long time. I've missed you, Chris. There has been this crazy ice storm in Texas. I'm pretty sure you guys have heard about it. All of our electricity was out. We had no heat. Texas has never seen, well, Houston in particular, has never seen temperatures drop as low as they did. So we were talking about 10 degrees, which is unheard of <laughs> for where I live. So it, it was crazy to be in that kind of weather with no electricity, no heat. Food was running low. You couldn't get anything from the grocery stores. Everything was shut down. It was just, it was a terrible situation. Let's just put it like that. Wow, so we had that. That's crazy. <laughs> On top of that, I had family that was sick, um, so I had to cater to them. That was another thing that distracted me from doing the podcast. And Chris, you told me specifically that you were going to be working on the weekends, and things changed, right? Yeah. Um, so we uh, we got tasked. My department got tasked with um, providing security for a COVID-19 vaccination site here in my county. Um, And then they stay, you know, they had to rush through. They put a schedule together. It was all hands on deck. All officers had to sign up for different shifts to work security for the vaccination site. They got it all up and running. They got our list together, you know, gave us all our directions, what we're supposed to do. And then right before we were supposed to start, it got canceled. Apparently, we didn't get, or the county didn't get the vaccines. So they weren't able to do the the mass vaccine site that they had set up. So does the county have the vaccines now? Um, I haven't heard anything. I don't think they got as much as they were told they were going to get. Uh, so we haven't heard anything else since. They haven't reenacted the list um, and the mandatory security yet. We were kind of still on standby. So, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we got all ready for this. They had all these plans put in place. You know, I had to clear my schedule make sure I was available for all the shifts that they signed me up for that I was voluntold that I was going to do. <laughs> and then, then they sent an email out saying it was, it was on, everything was on hold with the possibility that it could come back. So it's kind of like, 
So it's kind of like, you know, anytime they can say, okay, start your shifts, everything's a go. So you really can't make plans because that's at any awesome. moment they can, they can start it back. Speaking so of the vaccine, are you going to get the vaccine? Man, that's a whole, that's, that, that topic right there is a whole conversation to have. That's a whole episode. <laughs> um, I'm on the fence, honestly, about it. I really am on the fence about it. My mom is a, uh, she's a nurse in New Jersey. And, you know, New Jersey and New York got hit pretty bad back in March and April of uh, 2020. And, you know, I know she was, you know, she would call me almost every day and just tell me all the horror stories about what was going on. The hospitals was overwhelmed. They were running out of beds. Actually, they ran out of beds. They had to like, they were putting people in different places. They had entire floors. They had to convert into COVID units. And she was just telling me how bad it was. And did that make you want to get it? It The vaccine? Yes, it did. Um, Just from here, because I'd have offenders that would say, oh, COVID isn't real. Why are you over here showing up with a mask? Why are you making me wear a mask? And I would tell them, like, listen, you can believe it's not real. I have someone close to me that is on the front lines and they're telling me it's real. Um, I haven't actually had anyone I know or anyone in my family get it. Um, So we've been blessed with that. So I have, I mean, I pray and I have, um, you know, empathy for all the, for the half a million people who's, who have passed away in their families from COVID. But, you know, I, I know with some people, it's like, unless it happens to them, they just don't believe things are true. Exactly. And, and it's sad. Um, so like I said, I would have, I would have offenders like, oh, COVID isn't real. Let's start telling me all these conspiracy theory stuff. And I'm like, listen. I'm gonna wear a mask. You gonna wear a mask. We gonna we gonna keep these six feet for right now. <laughs> all right. Um, but you can say it's not real. But I know from what I've heard from someone that's on the front lines that it's real. Oh, it's real. How long do you that think fear. that us as Americans will have to, you know, walk around with masks in different businesses and airplanes and things like that? I feel like um, this is gonna I, go on for some time. I could see this going on till end, end of twenty twenty one. I, I can see it going on like that. Yep. I know nowadays there's, you know, especially the state where I'm in, they're starting to lift some of the COVID restrictions and, you know, open some places back up and, you know, allow people to gather in larger groups than before. Um, I personally am not taking that chance. I have not sat down to eat in a restaurant in well over a year. Oh my God. I could not if survive. I'm gonna, if I'm going to get... We still patronize them. We'll go get food and carry it out. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to go sit in a restaurant with other people around and eat without a mask on. Like, I'm not doing that. It's, the the ambiance is not enough for me. So, but like I said, I mean, I'll go. I'll get food and I'll bring it home and I'll eat it at home in my, family, in my bubble. But back to the vaccine question. So my mom got the vaccine. She was one of the first people to get it because, you know, Claire, she's a, you know, healthcare worker on the front lines. So she got it. You know, she did all the, she read all the research. She read into it. She talked to all the doctors in the hospital. 
and she's telling me to go ahead and get it. So my position yes, Chris, is, do it. my position is, if it's made of, when it's available to me, um, you know, whether my department, if my department says, hey, listen, we're doing it on this day, you know, show up, I'll, I will go get it. If it's a thing where I have to like go out of my way to get it, I don't know. So that's my answer. If it's made available to me, I'll get it. But if I have to go out of my way, chances are I'm probably not. What about you? Anti-vaccination. Oh, okay. So I'm definitely not getting it. My husband got it um, on the second go around because you know they do it in two doses. Huh? Getting superpowers? You getting superpowers? Need fly? He did not. (laughs) What happened down in Texas? So what did you guys do when the you know temperature dropped, power went out, water went out? What did you guys do? <laughs> well, me, my family in particular, there was one family member that lived about 20 minutes from us. Uh, she didn't lose power initially. Like the first couple of days, her, her house was fine. She had water, she had power. So we just went over there um, with her because we, you know, we wanted to stay warm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third day, her power went out too. <laughs> So we just had no choice but to stay home with um, just to tough it out. We just had to tough it out like the rest of the people. I feel very fortunate that my house wasn't affected. Because some people, they had pipes burst and then their homes were uh, flooded. Um, nothing like that happened, thank God. Because that would have been a whole nother can of worms. But there were a lot of people who weren't as fortunate as me. And I feel really bad about that. And some people are still um, struggling from the aftermath of that. What do you feel about preparedness for your family and having the things you guys need? So before you answer that, like when COVID hit, when it first happened out of the blue, I remember my wife like freaking out. They sent the kids home from school. They canceled school. And my wife's like, oh, you got to go to the store. You got to, we need, you know, because normally the kids go to school, they get their lunch, they get their lunch there. Um, They get breakfast there too. And, you know, we just have, you know, we don't really keep much food in the house because, you know, she's at work, I'm at work. So we'll just have, you know, some food that we'll have for dinner. So she freaked out, sent me to the store. I think I spent like $550 um, just buying whatever was available. And I remember the panic people that were in the store. I mean, people were pulling two carts. They just, you know, carts were just stack full of food and i never seen a grocery store that busy and people are just freaking out and i'm the kind of person who i've always tried to be prepared like we keep a few cases of water in the house um you know i'd always buy you know extra cases. i'm going to buy a case i buy two um and i think we had like maybe six or eight cases of water in the house um i maybe kept like maybe a few extra cans of stuff soups and things like that in the house just in case a couple extra bags of rice um but when COVID first hit like I said I really kind of was like wow this is crazy I've always kind of been a person who I try to keep at least a few extra cases of water in the house uh, a few extra cans of soup you know a few extra bags of rice just you know just kind of in case so you know this whole COVID thing kind of really taught me that you know, we need to be a little bit more prepared. 
So what we've kind of been doing over the last few months is just kind of, you know, stockpiling some more cases of water. Um, you know, whenever we go to the store, instead of buying one, which we normally do, we'll just buy two. Um, you know, buy a few extra cans of soup, extra cans of uh, tomato sauce, rice, you know, pasta, you know, things that are non-perishables. Um, we actually bought a deep freezer, which was a whole journey in itself because the stores were out of deep freezers. Apparently, everybody had the same idea of, I guess, deep freezers. Um, so we had to order one, wait for it to come in, um, which actually came in pretty quick. I think it took about two weeks. Went, picked it up, took it home. Um, so we kind of stuck there with some, some more meats and things like that. So we'd always have uh, just different things so we don't have to go out as much. So my question was, do you think, do you think a lot of people just were not prepared down in Texas for a situation like that? I mean, who no, no one was prepared for that. Because like I said, that is unprecedented. That type of thing doesn't really happen. I feel like the thing that really messed with people was the electricity being out. Okay, yes, one thing to be cold. Okay, cool, but you have your heater. No, you don't have any heat. <laughs> and you don't have any way to cook your food. And then the stuff that was in the fridge is going bad. It's like, what do you what do you do? So no, we weren't prepared. Um, not to say people didn't have food in their house and water. You probably did in the beginning, but then what happens when all that stuff starts spoiling and all your meat, you know, you can't do anything with it. You can't even cook it. Right, right, right. Did you ever, did you ever, ever hear from any of your old co-workers about what happened with work? Did everything shut down? Were, you know, oh, yeah, the office was closed. Rain? Yeah, the office was closed. I mean, everything, the whole city was closed. I mean, the whole city was shut down. Nobody could drive on the roads because we're not equipped down here <laughs> to drive <laughs> um, on icy roads you, you know we don't have that so it was advised for everybody to stay off the roads my husband and I are going to get a generator which we've been saying we we're going to get it for years because we get a lot of hurricanes and stuff out here um and we lose power with that but yeah we're going to get uh the what is it generator and then we're going to get apparently we're getting an rv I'm not on board for an RV, but that's what he wants. So that's probably what we're going to do. So you guys are getting the RV and bounce. Yo, we're going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working a lot on a lot of firearms training personally. Um, I've been going to, I've been trying to go to the range more often. I know right now ammo is very hard to find. Um, but just trying to work on that proficiency because that is a skill that can be very perishable. And with everything going on with COVID, my job really hasn't been, you know, providing us uh, firearms training like they used to. So I've been trying to at least go to the range and, uh, you know, shoot a hundred rounds every, you know, every, every other week or so, just try to keep my skills up. Um, also in the future, I do plan on, uh, attending or paying for more uh, tactical firearms training for myself. Um, I actually did a course, uh, I think I say back in November with a group, um, Alpha Wolf Tactical. And I did a training with them and actually learned a lot um, in terms of, you know, I, I've always been good with marksmanship. And I'm actually, when I was in PA, I was actually a certifi certified firearms instructor. But, you know, being an instructor is kind of teaches you how to teach people to shoot. And a lot of what they do, they teach you how to shoot the qualification course. But qualification course is just simple marksmanship and range safety. It's not necessarily, you know, 
tactical shooting and um, you know how to be how to how to get rounds on target quickly and smoothly um how to shoot and move some of the things i'm really interested in and i'm actually planning on taking some courses so i can um hone those skills um just with everything going on in the world right now uh the city i'm in crime is up shootings are up um a lot of it's gang related uh knock on wood so far law there have been no law enforcement shootings and no one's shooting at the police um but i can only i can only tell it's a matter of time because these jokers out here they're doing their they're doing their shootings against other gang members and then they're getting the high-speed chases with the cops and it's only a matter of time before things get bad so i'm just trying to get myself prepared because in reality this is for all officers when you're out there Trust me, the, the the criminal element, they don't care that you're a PO, they don't care that you're a cop. They're, they just look at you as on that side of the line. So definitely make sure you're prepared. Um, make sure, you know, if you're, you know, if you're wearing, that you're wearing your gun, make sure you have your duty equipment, make sure you have your, your uh, body armor. Just make sure you guys are safe out there. If, if you don't have to wear your, you know, your badge and stuff, and you know, identify yourself as a, as a probation officer. Just don't do it. That'll be my that'll be my uh, advice to you guys. All right, so we have family. So we have some probation office safety tips for you guys. So um, we have a list here. Uh, we're broken out of three different categories. One is the probation office as a whole. Second one is going to be your the officer's office. And lastly, will be making arrests in the office. So I'll just kind of go through some of the points that um, our our uh, group chat was kind of mentioning, and I'll have Brittany add anything um, from her office's experience. All right, so for the probation office to hold, the first thing that we have on the list here is searches. Now, different offices are in different kind of buildings. Some are in courthouses, some are in standalone buildings. Um, my personally, my office is in a courthouse. So when offenders come to see me, they have to go through a melee detectors and sheriff deputies check them. Um, but mostly they're just checking for metal weapons. Well, uh, what the group chat was talking about is uh, you want to make sure that in addition to when they get to your office, you want to make sure you're doing your own pat downs and sometimes you might want to do an actual full search of the person where you make them get their pockets. You know, you really check them really good. Um, so a couple store, couple reasons for that is one, they make they make weapons. Um, there's actually some, a YouTube video that they showed us when we went through basic training, where they showed us a list of um, weapons that got through security because they're plastic. They have like plastic knives, and they're just as sharp. As like a real knife that can stab you, it can cut you, but they're made of plastic. So if you go through a metal detector, it's not going to show up. So that's a really good thing. You um, not clearly not going to be able to bring a gun in because guns have metal parts. Um, but there's definitely different things they can use as weapons. Uh, they showed us it was like it looked like a hairbrush, and the handle came off, and it had a plastic knife on the end of it. Um, uh, they showed us like bottles where you can like, twist the bottom off and then it holds different has you know has a little container on the inside where it looks like a Pepsi bottle 
bottle of Pepsi, but the bottom comes off and, you know, you can pipe contraband and things in there. And you'd be surprised at um, what offenders will bring into the office. I remember, it was a, I think it was about a year ago, um, guy came in, I pat him down and he had his crack pipe hidden in his sock. So he got past the metal detector with it because it's a glass pipe, came to the office and I generally try to, I make it a habit, I pat all my offenders down when they come in because we have the right to do so. They, um, they waive their Fourth Amendment right when they, uh, when they get on probation. So I always pat people down and you know, I get to a sock. I'm like, what is this hard thing right here? This guy had a crack pipe in his sock. Did he get a drug paraphernalia charge? Uh, let me think. It was about a year ago. Let me think what happened. I think... Well, we typically, were planning, did they get in trouble for that? We were already planning on arresting him. So I think we just, I think we just arrested him and on, the, on the probation violation. I think we did call the deputies, the courthouse deputies, and I believe... I did. They did charge him, but I think got thrown out. His office decided they want to prosecute. So, uh, so that yeah, that's very... probably already in enough hot water, huh? Exactly with a probation violation. Um, yeah, yeah. Plus, I, plus, I didn't know if they need to, like, you know, you know, check it for residue and to send the residue residue to the uh, residue to the lab. If that was going to take more time. So they just went ahead and, like I said, they the deputies charged them with paraphernalia, but it, the DA's office threw it out. And I can't remember what happened to him. I think he might have got revoked. Yeah, I think he got revoked. I think mm. that's what happened. So every yeah. single person that comes in to see you, you have to pat them down? We don't have to. Oh, they, okay. They, okay. They, uh, we can, and they recommend that we do it randomly. I just do everybody. I just do everybody because you just never know. Now, do they train you on how to pat someone down in the office or you just do what you think yes. you should do? Uh, well, we, when we go through um, basic training, they teach us how to do uh, searches of a person. So Basic training. You had like the training academy to become a PO? Yeah, yeah we go through a, a five-week training academy. And is it just like the police academy or is it different? Uh, it's similar. Like we have a week of firearms training, and we do defensive tactics um, thrown in, thrown in throughout the whole five weeks. We uh, we have a lot of classroom stuff. We have CPR, first aid, and then we have a lot of classroom stuff talking about you know um, the job itself. You know, probation officer authority, motivational interviewing. Um, drug recognition. We have a mock court that we do, so you can um, so officers can practice like how to testify in court. Um, the different laws, um, you know, how to do probation violations, different things like that. And it's a five week course. But when I went through, it was five weeks. I think now it's up to. I think they added another week. So I think new officers, it's up to six weeks now. Do you have to take a test at the end of it? Yes, you do have to take a test um, and you have to pass the test or I think if you fail the test, they, they, um, they give you another chance to retake it in like a couple of weeks. 
And then if you don't pass it, then they then you're out the door. Like you have to pass it. Yeah. Is it hard? It's, um, it's not that it's hard. It's just that it's five weeks worth of material. So everything you've learned, the whole five weeks you were there, anything and everything that they covered could be in the test, and you don't know what it is. Oh my gosh! And on top of the written test, do you also have a like a physical test? There's, uh, we don't have a physical test, but you do have to pass firearms training. Okay. Um, and I remember we had one girl in our class I was struggling to pass, and she was on the edge of being um, sent home because she could not qualify. And I believe the instructors worked with her away from the main, away from the rest of the class, and she didn't end up passing. So they had to give her some like one-on-one attention. Um, but it worked. She passed. I think everybody in my in my class graduated. What do you have to do? What's the qualification to pass? Well, there's a there's a qualification score. It was a qualification course uh, fire that you have to go through, um, and it's the same course of fire that we have to go through every year. There's a day shoot and a night shoot, and you have to. Um, I think out of a hundred points, you have to get seventy five to pass what are you doing just hitting the target yeah but you're shooting the target at different ranges in different positions standing and kneeling and um there's a little bit of moving involved moving and shooting and like i said just different techniques you know uh strong hand shooting weak hand shooting two hand shooting um we shoot at the three five seven ten 15 and 25 yards um so there, there's you know there's a lot of things involved with it and there's also a night shoot where you have to shoot with your flashlight and they teach you the different techniques on how to hold your flashlight and hold your firearm and how to engage your tar- engage your target so wow. and you have to pass that in order in order to you know graduate and yeah. actually every year you have to go through it i just went through i just went through recertification um last week so every year you have to go. Do you have to? Do you have to provide your own weapon for no, that uh, portion of it? No, my where I'm at, we're issued. Our, our firearms are issued. When I worked in PA okay. as a juvenile officer, our the department issued our firearms in my county. The county above us, Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is, um, they have to buy their own guns. I think they give them like a list and say you can buy any gun on this list. And in order to qualify, you have to buy the gun. And then I believe the county provides you the ammunition and the training. For, so uh, this is where you are now is not even optional. Like all the officers have to carry, right? That is correct. Everyone has to be, everyone has to be uh, qualified to carry a firearm. In PA, we didn't have to. In my in Westmoreland County, where I worked, you you could pick or choose whether you want to carry a firearm or not. And I want to say, out of the thirty juvenile officers in my department, I want to say like maybe like seven carried. Wow. <laughs> and even out of those seven, I want to say maybe only like four carried every day. So that means we had officers that were qualified to carry, but they wouldn't carry their firearm every day. And as y'all know, or some of you may not know, if you uh, are just now finding us, 
here at Two Hats Podcast, the department that I worked for, no one carried a firearm. It was not even an option. <laughs> and Chris always makes fun of me for that. Like, how do you guys do your job without a firearm? <laughs> I'm just saying I couldn't do it. That's all I'm saying. All right, so back to uh, the probation office safety tips. So searches, you want to make sure you check them. Um, you know, if you're not in a courthouse, you know, um, I know that people, uh, some departments have the little wand, the little metal detector wand. You can use those. Um, but my, my suggestion is do a, do a pat down um, just to make sure they don't have anything um, plastic, any plastic weapons or any wooden weapons that they can bring in. Because you'd be surprised, or any drug paraphernalia, you'd be surprised what people yeah. bring into the, the probation office. Um, don't have them carry any bags into the office. I know females are good for always bringing a big purse. Um, and if they do bring it in, you have to make sure you check it. And I know that makes a lot of uh, officers uncomfortable going through a female's purse. If you can get another female officer to do it, you can do that. But I mean, you always want to check bags because you don't know what they have in there. Um, don't let them bring third parties to the probation office. It always used to be a big pet peeve of mine. People bring their kids to the probation office. I don't know if you ever experienced that. People, oh man, yeah. I couldn't get a babysitter or, oh, my girl had to go to work. I got my kid with them. What they try to do is they try to use the kid as a ploy so they, so they can't get arrested. And I think, we, I think we had a situation once where we had to arrest a female and she brought her kid and I think we had to wait for a family member to come get the kid. And she said she knew she was going to get arrested. And that's why she intentionally brought the child with her. Mm-hmm. We didn't allow children at all. So some of them would use the kid as, you know, they would come to the office with the kid and they know we're going to say, oh, well, we cannot see you since you have a child. So you're going to have to come back. So if they didn't want to see their PO, sometimes they would just bring a kid. <laughs> so they wouldn't have yeah. to go back in the office. And they, they, yeah, they, they know they can't, but they'll do it. Or they'll be able to bring their boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad. Um, to the probation office you want to try to nip that in the butt tell them not to um, but always get is like the the like 18 19 year olds always want to bring their parents with them I'm like dude you're an adult yeah your mom your mom's like coming into this meeting with us she has nothing to do with this you are right. an adult this is not juvenile probation you're an adult you can be treated like an adult if you want to talk to your mom about whatever we talked about or show her all the papers we're giving you afterwards, that is your decision to make. Um, but she's not coming back here. Exactly. Because mom is not going to be in that cell with you if you get arrested again. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be you. Um, let's see here. Uh, when you're escorting the, op- the offender to your office, make sure that uh, the offender walks in front of you. You walk behind them. So that way you have that te- tactical advantage. Because if they're walk, if you're walking in front of them, you know they can do anything. Try to grab your weapon, try to run, um, try to hit you. Have them walk in front of you. And to go along with that is, if you are issue safety safety package safety equipment, um, wear it in the office. A lot of officers get real complacent, and you know they don't have their OC, they don't have their handcuffs, they don't have their they don't wear their firearm. Um, they don't even have their vest of, I understand some people don't have to wear their vest all the time at least have your vest available to you in the office because you just never know what's going to happen 
Oh my gosh, Chris, you make this job sound so scary. <laughs> it's not a matter of Brittany. You're you're working with a clientele where a hundred percent of them is a convicted criminal. Well, it's no, not, not like all of them are convicted. Some of the cases okay. are deferred. <laughs> Some of them are deferred. Okay, you get that. Every one of them, hundred percent of them, have been charged with crimes. Yes. Okay. The vast majority of them are convicted of those crimes and have a lengthy history of prior convictions. Yes, yeah, some of them do, yeah. Okay, so it's not like being a regular caseworker or social worker where you're working with different kind of people. You're dealing with a clientele where 100% of them are charged with some kind of criminal activity. Right, so but a lot of them be, aren't assaultive or a lot of them aren't... Um, offenses whereas they were hurting someone so why you got to be afraid well not afraid but it's not a fear thing it's a preparedness thing it just seems kind of crazy to me because you know as you know we didn't do any of that in my office so when you talk about it it seems like something out of a movie (laughs) what i think the i think the main difference and the the part where it adds you know certainty towards my position as opposed to your your position where your department was is three words power of arrest my department we have right. the power of arrest it's different when right. the offender knows that you really can't do anything to them right they're coming to the see you seems- they're coming to see you, Brittany, and they know you're not going to arrest them. If you're going to arrest them, you have to get a warrant, get the sheriffs to come looking for them. Whereas opposed to, we have that power of arrest. We are considered law enforcement officers in my state. And we can, when you have that ability to take someone's freedom. Things can happen. <laughs> Things can pop off. Don't take that well. Yes, exactly. So that's the that is the big thing. And like I said, that's the number third topic um, that I that we got some uh, tips on about how to make arrests in the office. That's, I think, the main difference. Nice. That's a Would good segue. So tell us about that safety when making arrests. All right. So it's always safer to make the arrest. If you're going to arrest an offender for probation violations, it's always better and safer to do it in your office as opposed to going to their home to do it. That's just a fact. Because in their home, you're on their turf. They have all the advantages. If they have any weapons, they know where it is. You don't. All the third parties, all their family members or friends or whatever that are in that environment, that's in that's towards their advantage. So it's always safer to do arrest in the office. So that's the first tip. Second thing is, if you're going to make an arrest in the office, you want to have several officers aware. You want to have all the officers aware that you're making the arrest, and you want to have at least several officers available to assist. So when you bring them back and you're trying to do that off that um that arrest, you want to make sure that they can see that there's two, three, four, five other officers there. So that makes it less likely that they will try to resist, fight, or flee. Second thing is you want to make your arrest quick and you want to make it out of the sight of others. So if you have like a lobby area, you don't arrest somebody in the lobby. Take them back into the secure area of the office 
either in your office or into a hallway and you make the arrest there and you make it quickly. Um, you don't try to engage with the offender about a long conversation about what they did wrong and why you're arresting them. Take them back there, turn around, put your hands behind your back, you're under arrest for violation of your probation. Get them in handcuffs. Once they're in handcuffs and they're secured and you search them, that's when you can say, okay, I'm violating you for this, this, and this, and this. 99% of the time, the offender already knows or has a suspicious feeling that they're going to be arrested. They've known that they've been testing positive. They know they picked up some new charges. They know they haven't been coming to your appointments. They know they haven't, you know, there's a, a big question mark about where they're living at where you're telling them what they told you they're living at. So make the arrest quick. Then you can discuss the violation down the road. But like I said, most of the time, the offenders already know or have a, a suspicious feeling that they're going to be arrested. Um, and then if you're aware that the officer has a warrants for new charges that have been issued by police or the sheriff's office, get them involved, let them know that the offender is scheduled to come in, have a police officer or deputy in, the off in your probation office, um, not necessarily in your office, but maybe in an office next door. So when you bring the offender in, then they can come and serve it. It's a safer for all the parties involved, safer for you, safer for the offender, and safer for the police. You got any tips on that? Because I know that's what you do um, when you have to make arrests in the office. Yeah, when, when someone was going to get arrested, we would have to close all of the office doors, like, because every officer has their own office. So we have to close all the doors and let everybody know that there's about to be an arrest made. So no one would just come out and kind of interfere. Um, and then when the officer showed up to arrest them, the police officer that is not the probation officer, <laughs> when they came to arrest them, we would stand there and wait for the execution of that. So we wouldn't leave there. We wouldn't leave from near the offender until they were cuffed and walking out the door. So we just have to stand there and wait and watch. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So if something happened, they were resisting or whatever, we would have to, you know, talk about that, you know, possible revocation hearing. Does that make sense? But it's not like you're, it's not like you're going to get involved, you know, if they're, you know, fighting with a cop. It's like you're going to, you're going to go in there and tackle them or anything like that. Definitely not. <laughs> but it's just to be a witness to something to that goes witness. down. If exactly. <laughs> so you can tell the judge, hey, when they were arrested, they started fighting with a cop in my office. Mm-hmm. All right. The last and another thing uh, is that we never. Oh, sorry. Another thing is that if, say, for instance, I had an offender that needed to be arrested, I wouldn't be the one to call that offender back. I would have another officer do that. So that was, I think, another safe. Well, that was another safety precaution that they had. So any officer would not call their own offender back to get arrested. There will be another officer coming to do that. So a lot of them would know, like, if another officer was going to call them from the lobby, they would be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> Where's my PO? <laughs> so a lot of, you know, the people who have been around the block a few times and they've been on probation, they knew the drill. Like, if my PO doesn't come get me, that probably means I'm getting locked up. What's the um? What's the thought process behind that? Mm -hmm. 
I'm not the one who made it up. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. I mean, they already know at the end of the day, you're the one that filed the violation report. So if they're going to be mad, they're going to be mad regardless. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think? What could you come up with? I, as a reason? I don't know. I can't think of any valid reason why I would send another officer to get my offender just because they're about to get arrested. I just can't think of it. It's like going to situations where something happened one time many years ago and a decision was made and nobody has questioned it ever since, which is kind of like 99% of the way policies are made nowadays. Yep. <laughs> um, just like uh, the officer we're talking to, uh, we interviewed um, down in Yuma, Arizona, where he was talking about, you know, I think he said they can't carry in the office unless they're on a particular team. And he really couldn't tell you exactly why that decision, that policy is in place or, you know, what prompted it or why it makes sense. It's just one of those things where I guess something happened one time, a decision was made and nothing was ever changed from that. Hmm. But yeah, I can't think of a really good reason. Yeah, that's kind of like what happened probably. Yeah, I can't think of a good reason. All right, so the last topic is the probation officer's office. So well, this is where the magic goes down. This is where we have our life-changing conversations with our offenders. This is where we talk about their conditions and their progress towards their conditions. So first tip here um, is your door should be open at all times. There is never a valid reason for you to close your door with your offender in the office. That offender can say anything about what you said or did to them in that office with the door closed. Especially if it's an offender of the opposite sex. Never, 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 ever close your door. Um, I had an offender come in. It was a guy. He was like, oh, man, I got some stuff going on in my life. I really want to talk to you about it. And he started to close my door. I was like, oh, 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 don't do that. Leave that wide open. Man, you understand, I got, I got to tell you about some stuff going on in my life. I really want to, I, I just don't want, you know, other people hearing. I said, I understand that. My door does not close. That's just the rules. You know, you can, you can lower your voice when you're talking about, you know, whatever situation is going on. My door does not close. So that's the first safety tip. Second thing is, um, your desk. Your desk should be set up in a way in which you as the officer are closest to the door so that if you get into a situation where your offender is acting crazy or you're confronting them about violations and they don't like that, um, I'm not sure you're going to arrest them, but you're just, you know, you're talking about some, you know, positive drug test or treatment and they just don't like being told that, you know, that they're in the wrong and they're acting aggressive that you have a smooth exit out the door. I also understand a lot of these offices are set up where the furniture cannot be moved, where you have no option but for the offender to be closer to the door. Second part of that is you wanna make sure that there are no weapons of opportunity within reach of the offender. Your desk, when you meet with the offender, should be as clear as possible. No staplers tape dispensers, 
scissors, um, cup full of pens, printers, computers, nothing should be within the offender's immediate reach. Now, I also understand, depending on how the office is set up, you might not be always be able to move your computer, computer screen, printer, those kind of big things, but you do have control over where your stapler is, um, you know, where your cup of pens are, where your tape dispenser is. Nothing that a defender could pick up and try to use as a weapon. Um, no family photos or other personal identifying information. That's a big no-no. You don't want defender. We're in a, we're in a, we're in a position where we need to know everything about the offender in their life. They really should not know anything about us personally. The only thing my offenders know is they know I'm married because I wear a wedding ring. Beyond that, they don't know anything else. I have no pictures of my family in my office. I have no pictures of my fraternity. Nothing that's personally identifiable. Places I've lived, places I've visited. Nothing. I have pictures of Baby Yoda in my office. That's fine. They can know I like Star Wars. I'm okay with that. I have a little plush Baby Yoda I got for Christmas from my chief. That's fine. That's in the office. They can see that. Beyond that, there is absolutely nothing. I have a patch collection on my wall. They know I like to collect patches. That's not something they can use to identify me, find out where I live, find out anything about my family, my pet by my patch collection. It just is what it is. It's decoration on my wall. Why is it that wall. why is it so important for the offender not to have any personal personally identifying information? Is that what you called it? Yes. You're, yeah, why is that we, so important? It goes back to you're working with a, a clientele that's hundred percent charged. Most of them are convicted of crimes. You don't want them to know anything about you. Let's say you have to go ahead and arrest that offender one day. They're, they're totally upset about it. I've had offenders flip out because they're getting arrested. Because, you know, it's never a good time to be arrested. It's never a good time in front of them. Oh, I got this and this going on in my life, and you're taking me to jail, and I don't have the money to make bond, and, you know, all the excuses in the world. Remind you, 99% of the time, the offender knows the arrest is coming. They know they've messed up. You don't want them to know anything about you where they can try to get any kind of revenge on you. Follow you home. So do you think that same that same thing should be uh, taken into consideration with like attorneys and district attorneys and judges and people I'm that work sure. in the courts? And I'm pr I'm pretty sure that they they do take all those precautions. I'm I'm more than sure they are. Um. Because a lot of information about those types of individuals, the higher ups, like there's a lot of public information about them. Yeah, but then again, you don't go into the DA's office or the public defender's office, you know, their personal workspace. Normally time you meet with the, you meet with them, you know, in the courtroom, outside the courtroom. I mean, clearly you're never going to, you're never going to be in a judge, an offender is never going to be in a judge's office where they can see your family or see that, oh, the judge's daughter goes to the private school down the street. You know what I mean? You're never going to see that. So Right, but the they have of, their they're public figures, so they have stuff about them on the internet, and people can find if you If somebody wants to find you, they're going to find you. So I feel like Chris is saying don't make it easy. Don't make it easy for them. Exactly. Don't make it easier. <laughs> don't make don't it make easy. It. 
Uh, and the very last tip is um, read the offender's body language. Um, you've been working with them long enough. You can you know when they're good. You know when they're sober. You can tell when they're not sober. You can tell when they're agitated and when they're not. Just make sure you're mindful. I understand, you know, we have, you know, appointments scheduled and we're just trying to get through and knock them out as efficiently and effectively as we can. But you got to make sure you pay attention to the offender's body language. You want to look for signs of aggression, um, signs of escape, where you know, if they're constantly looking at the door, they're kind of, you know, constantly kind of gauging it. It's kind of making you think, okay, they think something's wrong. Or maybe they know the arrest is coming, you know, things like that. So definitely make sure you pay attention to their body language. Uh, now, most of your job is meeting with offenders in the office. So do you have any other tips um, that we missed or, you know, from your experience with working there, having them come into the office? Anything else that you can think of? Uh, no, that really covered everything. Like those five tips. Well, that was five tips, right? <laughs> it really uh, covered. Here's about five tips just for the office. That the officer's office about five tips. Yeah. And I mean, if if I were to add anything, it would just be to remain on on point. I would say when you're in the office. So a lot of officers, you know, you have this nice desk chair. You might be wanting to lean back and talk to the offender, all comfortable. No, this is not a situation where it should be like that. You need to be in a position where if something does happen, you don't have to, you're you're pretty much ready to react, kind of. Agreed. You will have some Agreed. officers that, you know, you look like you and your homie are just in there chilling. No, that's not what it should be. <laughs> no, you're there to conduct business. You're there to have a, a professional relationship with this offender. You were there to address their, their court order conditions, enforce those court order conditions, and if need be, file a violation and issue a warrant if you're Brittany or most likely make the arrest if you have the power of arrest. But you should not be in there lollygagging to have a chit-chat conversation with the offender. Be on no, point. Always be, be ready. Be specific with what you're talking to them about. Make sure you're paying attention to the officer. I mean, I, I when I'm when I'm doing my office interviews, I am typing while I'm talking. I have that ability to do it. My screen is off to the side. I can see my screen. I can see the offender. They're both in my vision. Um, I just don't have the time to come back and put the notes in later. Plus, I know I'm, I'll probably forget half the things they said. So that's very important that you're able to keep an eye on your computer and on the offender at the same time. Right. So that's what we have for you guys today. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. You know, we checked in with us. There's a lot of things going on. We talked a little bit about preparedness. We talked about office safety. So definitely for new officers, make sure you pay attention to those tips. Talk to veteran officers in your office. Get tips from them. Find out how things are done in your office. See if any of the tips that we offered are things that you guys can implement in your own office. So back in PA, back in juvenile, I want to say I was there for three years. It wasn't until the last year that I was there where they finally allowed us to actually carry our firearms in the office. For those first two years, officers were not allowed to carry our firearms in the office. And then within the last year, they changed that. And that's just from officers asking the questions 
you know, talking to management, talking to the judges um, and seeing, hey, listen, this is what we want to do. Why can't we carry our firearms in here? Listen to their, listen to their reasoning. And a lot of things um, like we were talking about earlier is that there's a lot of policies that are put in place that were maybe, you know, one particular supervisor's opinion, but it doesn't really qualify anymore. So if there's a policy in place, I'm not saying break policy, ask questions. Ask the questions. Why is this like this? Wouldn't it be more safer if A, B, or C, hey, we can carry firearms in the office? If we're in the office, why do we have to lock our guns up? Why is that? We're all trained. We're all qualified with these. We all go through weapon retention training. Why can't we carry firearms in the office? Ask those questions. Hey, why can't we pat people down when they come in? Hey, can we get one of those metal, uh, those hand metal detectors? Can the department get us one of those so we can check to make sure offenders aren't bringing things into the office to hurt us? Ask the questions. You might, you might be surprised to see that a policy gets changed. If you guys have any tips, safety tips that you would like to share, please leave them in the comments below. You can also leave comments on our Instagram page at, at Two Hats Podcast. Definitely leave some comments there. Um, you can DM us also if you have any questions or if there's anything that you want to add or share to the podcast. We're always looking for feedback from you guys because this is what we do. This is this is why we do it. We want we want to support the community corrections, community supervision, probation, parole, pretrial services, community because we don't have that support out there. There are tons of law enforcement podcasts. There are tons of police officer um, pages and support groups and things like that, but they don't really have it for us. So we got to support us. That's right. Definitely. Leave your comments below. Help us grow. Tell your coworkers. Um, tell your friends that are looking to get into probation and parole to come check us out. We are on Anchor FM, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts, right? No, we're not on Apple yet. We're not on Apple? How could a source somebody say they listen to us on Apple? Yeah, one of um, one of the one of one of somebody commented that they listen to us on Apple. I don't know about it, that, Chris. Hey, I'm on, hey guys, if we're on Apple, leave a comment below. Let us know. Yes, please. Hey, we appreciate you guys listening to us. I'm Chris, technical probation officer. And I'm Brittany, your favorite PO. You already know. And until next time, guys, be safe out there. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Take care of your communities through effective supervision of your offenders. Peace.